Hebrews 11. We'll be in verse 1. And um, just uh, speaking about faith tonight, speaking on a topic that I think us as believers, we can maybe we know what it is, but we need to be reminded of it. We need to get back to the basics, back to the nitty-gritty of what faith actually is. And so if you are there, uh, if you'll stand with me as we um, honor the reading of God's word, and starting in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him, accepting his gift, and know his faith, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You may be seated and we'll pray tonight. Father, we love you. We're so thankful we get to be here tonight and to hear from you, to hear from your word. And God, I pray that I speak only what you would have me to speak, nothing more and nothing less, and that you would be here tonight with us. And so not only us are we gathered tonight, but churches across Springfield, across America, and uh, churches that meet all over the world, God, that your word would not return empty, but would send preachers of your word that would preach faithfully the Christ, that it would not return empty-handed, that hearts would be changed, that people would come to know you as Lord over their life, that conviction would take place, that sin would be exposed, and that we would walk away becoming the better soul, that we would become more like you. In your son's name we pray, amen. So, start this off. I was listening to a sermon this week, and I heard this story from a preacher that um, I won't say who his name is, but you might know who the guy is. But in his Bible reading, in eighth grade, he was in Luke 1. And in Luke 1, the text says, with God, all things are possible. Now him, being in eighth grade, was wanting to join the basketball team. You were on the basketball team, you were a Christian. People liked you, girls liked you, and that's who was like, now join the basketball team. And so he reads this passage, with God, all things are possible. And he's like, well... I'm the shortest kid in eighth grade, but by godly, if I can dunk the basketball, I'll make the team. And with God, all things are possible. So, him, eighth grade, shortest kid in the class. He never dunked the basketball before. Goes out into his driveway, and how does he do it? He gets on one knee, 10 feet of him. He gets down on his knees. He bows his head. He prays, Father, all things are possible. Help me dunk this basketball. So, eighth grade kid, bows down, prays. Like we would give him a thumbs up. He prays, Father, help me dunk this basketball. And he describes it. Like he's 
going to take a bunny truck, carry the basketball, run toward the hoop, and then two steps before the hoop, he's going to close his eyes. We're just going to picture the angels lifting him up to the hoop. So you get the picture. He's in his driveway. You're watching this. Neighbor side of the house, eighth grade kid, just bowed on his knee, Tim Tebow style, running toward the hoop, ball in his hand, two steps before, closes his eyes. And he swears, carrying the ball, closes his eyes, jumping on his left and right, lifting him up. He takes his two steps and then pulls, smacks right into his face. And people are laughing at him. The crowd is like, he's embarrassed, right? But then what caught me was he makes that story, as funny as it is, and he says, I wish I would take God at his word like the eighth grade boy in me that read, with God all things are possible. Like he read that passage, took God at his word. I know we applied that passage really wrongly because that passage talking about the virgin birth that Mary could conceive a child without tonight we are looking at faith a word that we can have trouble with that we hear it all the time but we may wonder what it means or we're we've grown up in church we hear the words but then we're just we're so used to have faith live by faith grow in your faith and so it carries several different meanings in both the old and the new testament one book says that it may mean simple trust in god or in the word of god and at other times faith almost becomes the equivalent to active obedience at first, in the Old Testament, it was confidence in God's covenant promise with Abraham and his descendants. And when we talk about New, the New Testament, faith was a response to Jesus. Another book saying that faith is the medium by which the power of God is made visible. It moves mountains. It heals the sick. And it is the means of entrance into the kingdom. Paul, in his letters, uses the word several different ways. In Romans, he used it as justified. In 2 Corinthians, he used it as redeemed. In Ephesians, made alive adopted into the family of God. And in Galatians, he uses the term as to set free. To have faith was to be made new, set free. One book says that, that faith is for Paul, the Latin phrase, sine qua non, like it's put to death. What that actually means is essential condition. That faith is for Paul, the essential condition of every aspect of salvation. From the grace that convicts to the receiving of the full inheritance at the coming of the Lord. So when we talk about faith tonight, it means all those things, that it's active obedience, that it's a simple trust in God's word. But when we do talk about faith, we can't separate it from Jesus. That tonight, you are sitting in chairs that are supporting you. You're not falling out of them. Now, if you came in here next to me and every single chair had a, a tag that said 50-pound single one of us in here would probably struggle to say, I have faith this chair is going to hold me up. Even getting on a ladder that says maximum weight, 300 pounds, some of you would be like, I'm too close. I'm not going to risk that. I'm not going to have faith that this ladder is going to hold me up. And we do that with reason, that we look at the chair, we look at that ladder, and we're like, 
that chair is Lefty, that chair is Cushion is non-Cushion, right? We look at it and we're like, okay, my reason, I'm looking at this chair, I'm saying I don't have vision. Reason without faith may deteriorate into a mere gathering of facts that never get put together. But faith without reason can trail off into vagueness and lack of meaning. So we need both. We need faith and we need reason. They don't exist outside of each other. We need them both to work hand in hand. So we look at the first verse and we get to the first point that we do take God at his word. That verse one, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now to put this chapter into context, the next chapter in chapter 12, verse one, you read that Paul is exhorting them to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He exhorts them to do those things, but first by saying we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And in chapter 11, you may know it as the hall of fame of the people of faith or the hall of faith or however nickname your pastor gave it. But you read people who had faith, who lived a life on mission by faith. He exhorted them to do this, yet this chapter has a lot of people who had no visible evidence, yet they would revolve their whole life around the promises God made to them. One commentary, their faith consisted simply in taking God at his word and directing their lives accordingly. Things yet future as far as their experience went were thus present to faith, and things outwardly unseen were visible to the inward eye. Now sometimes... God made promises, but the people did not see visible results. But they lived their life in faith only to die and never see what God had promised. That Abraham and Sarah, who wanted kids, saw their promise that they got Isaac. But they didn't see the promise that a whole nation would come from their family line. They didn't see that promise. Then you look at verse 13, that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. They died with the conviction that God would fulfill the promises. If this was true of the people in the Old Testament, that they didn't see the promise of a coming Messiah, but they had faith that he was coming. That he was coming to save his people. Now Abraham, living a life of faith, knowing that he was a stranger on this earth, that he was just passing through toward the next world, to heaven. Now we look at verse 1, that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Assurance, the word picture is meaning a foundation, that some of your translations may say reality, it may say confidence, but the idea is that faith grabs a hold of what is hoped for. And then you get to the rest of the verse, and you're asking, what, are, what do we hope for? What do we as Christians, what are we supposed to hope for? What is the underlying thing that we, each one of us, we may not think we hope for these things, but we do. That we hope for Christ's return. That one day, in glory, he will appear coming back to us. Coming back for his church. We hope 
for the resurrection and that we are given a new birth through Jesus Christ, that one day we'll be glorified, that one day we will see Jesus face to face. Faith will be made sight. We hope to reign with Christ one day, that there will be no night, there will be no tears, no pain, no suffering. Just faith made sight, and we will see God face to face, and we will see Jesus in our great Savior, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Faith is what lets us see what is not seen, that there's a spiritual order to this universe. We can read in our Bibles in Isaiah 6 about angels that took them two to cover their feet, two to cover their eyes, and the other two to let them fly. We read about people who ride horses with the heads of a lion saying, well, I'm, I'm that lion, I'm the lion. And then I thought they were talking about gingers, but that's not, that's not true. So don't take that. That's not true. But anyway, but we have faith. We believe that day exists. So we have faith that one day we will see Jesus face to face. And then we get to verse 2. Provided the people of old received their commendation. The faith we talked about in verse 1, the people of the Old Testament received their commendation because they had a verse 1 kind of faith. And then you read the rest of chapter, uh, verses 4 to 38. Men, women of the faith, who had verse 1 kind of faith. And the author here, when you read through chapter 11, he puts them in a historical outline that he just goes in history and just goes through men and women who all believed in God. God who was faithful to them and they lived a life of faith. And the author continues to talk about faith and the conviction they have. That verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Now, for school, I've been in an apologetics class where we are talking about how we engage people who don't believe in God. We, how we engage atheists or agnostics who believe at least that there's a God in the universe. That life without a God, morality cannot exist. That if we did come from evolution, what's the purpose of life? That the idea that um, there's no uh, eternity, that after we die, we just don't exist, right? What, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of life if we're just going to die one day never to be – all questions that logically we try to discuss, we try to explain, and the thing is the burden of the proof falls on the atheist or agnostic. That tonight I can't explain all these things logically and why each thing must be true. But for us believers of the room, we live by faith. We understand that the universe was created by the word of God. That we read Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We read that verse and say, yeah, that's true. We don't need, we look at reason. We look at um, theories that are put out there, like the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang where something came out of nothing. And we're like, how does that work? But when we read in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that there was a creator, a designer of everything. The designer of our bodies, the designer of trees, grass, like you name it, there's a designer to it. And if you read that, take God at his word that he did create the heavens and the earth. The 
at least by faith understand that there is an all-powerful, almighty God who has been there for an eternity, who did not have a beginning and doesn't have an end. And the author goes to explain that the physical things of this world were not made from physical materials, things that we can't see. God did not have a boat or a Home Depot or a Menards. He didn't just go to Menards, buy the Menards, and then boom, become
hear about this man that you sent us. We hear about here. We hear about him in Luke, and he was taken by God because his life was a life of faithfulness. That he only lives to about three hundred years, and then God comes and sees him and sees Enoch. And the thing is, Enoch lived in the time period where this world was becoming full of depravity. That it was on its way to where God was like, "I have enough. I'm just going to judge this world." Yet Enoch remained faithful. Jude, and I was talking about earlier, he was a prophet preaching the message that coming judgment, the message of coming judgment in the world, a message that probably was not popular, and yet Enoch lived a life of faith and was put in the chapter because of his faith. He was put in God's word because of his life, living on mission, living by faith. Enoch was taken away because of the character of his life. Only two men to ever be taken away by God, him and and Elijah, all because of Enoch. And then the verse that this point centers around, cultivating faith that pleases God, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those don't have faith, we can't please God. Verse 9. Simply put, we have to believe God exists. If we don't believe he exists, we can't please him. We can't have faith, and therefore we can't please him. If we reject that truth, we're in full rebellion against God. If we don't believe he created the world, then we don't believe that he did the things that he did in this book. We're in rebellion against is possible without him, that morality is possible within our own mind, within our own reason, that the people in this society that need God should just go ahead, that they just can't because obviously we can't go through this life without God. Just blame someone or someone to help us or maybe there's gods or something out there. But the truth is, is that there's not one demon in this world every demon in the Bible that encountered Jesus knew who he was. They didn't deny God. They knew his power. They knew his rule. They knew his reign. They knew his might. They believed in the Trinity. And quite frankly, demons may have a better theology than Christ. But demons believe God does exist. That he believes, they believe that he is the creator of everything. And then third, you must believe that in the God of the New Testament, that God revealed himself in Jesus Christ, that Christ was the sent son. He rewards those who seek him. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And in verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had not, who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. That God promised Abraham a son. He promised him children, as many as the stars, and yet then God tells him, kill your son. Offer him up as a sacrifice. And Abram, Abraham was going to do it because he had faith in God. He had faith that God was going to do something out of it. 
And we get to verse 23, that by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because he saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And then verse 24 and 25, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He wanted to suffer because that's where God's people were, rather than enjoy the world, enjoy sin. Moses chose this by faith. And then you get to verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they were attempting to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And then the author notes that it describes all the people in this book, in the Old Testament, all the way to the coming Messiah, would take too much faith. It would, the book would probably be as big as our Bibles to describe everyone who had lived a life by faith, who took God at his word for who he was, is, and always will be. And then verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even pains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made complete. The people in this passage understood that living a life a life by faith and you believe God is good and you believe and you seek after him you will live there I get it living by faith you hear it all the time especially if you grew up in church have faith live by faith grow in your faith trust him and when we talk about faith we're talking about something that is completely trustworthy something that when you look at it it's trustworthy evidence us to have faith, for faith is a foundation and a belief, and there are several implications for our lives. Now, like verse 6 says, we must receive him. That if we believe there is a God, and that he rewards those who seek him, then we must receive him. He will not reward us if we're not seeking him. We seek him in faith. We seek to trust him in all circumstances. If faith is something that is completely trustworthy, who better to put your faith in than the one who is the source of truth? Who better than the God of this universe, the God you can trust at all times? When your friends let you down, when your family lets you down, your coworkers let you down, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, they let you down, the God of heaven won't. 
He's faithful. He's always there for you. He'll always will be there for you. He makes promises and he intends to keep them. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess sins in, he will cleanse us from all sin. That's a promise. Praise God, declare forces in Psalms 62, 8. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Then John 3.16 promise, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He promised to keep one Joshua, that have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then in Revelation, the one who conquers will be, will be clothed in robes and white garments. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. If we are children of God, we will never be blot out of the book of life. He will always be in there. Nothing can separate us. That's a promise. You can take that to the bank. You can leave here tonight knowing if I'm a child of God, nothing in this world, no suffering, no troubles, no pain, nothing will separate me from God. In Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. And these are just several promises. And when you read this book, you find more and more in the pleasures of Jesus and his word. And when you read it, you continue to see that God was faithful. When we start in Genesis to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Noah, who built a boat for over 100 years in heaven. I go to work and read each and several days, and I'm done with it. Um, I am sick and tired of picking up a weed eater and just mowing some grass like it's awful. Yet Abraham and uh, Noah built a boat for 100 years. Like, how many splinters could that dude get in there? Or him and his wife. Like, conversations had to have gotten boring. Like, hey, what'd you do today? Built a boat. You done? No. Texting. What'd you do? Built a boat. Hey, you done? No. I cultivated it. Oh, by 80 more years. Oh, lovely. This is going to be fun. But Noah believed in God. He believed he rewarded those who seek him. So what did he do? He kept going day after day, year after year, for over 100 years. And then finally, he saw the land. And he tried to get the people to come, but they wouldn't come. So then, by faith, stepped onto that boat, his family came on that boat. All the animals came on the boat. And then for 40 days, the boat was empty. Several promises that I just read tonight, but there are so many more because this is a God who can trust you. A God who can put your faith in. A God who created the heavens and the earth. A God who's in control of everything. A God who sent his son to die so you may have eternal life. He guides me. He cried on that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That you would never have to take that cross in faith and trust in him. So I ask you tonight, is your faith true this morning? Do you actually believe he rewards those who seek him? And can you describe your faith as one that seeks after him? Is your faith lacking? Are you sitting there tonight saying, I don't know if I have it. I may be that person that in 11th grade, I was out for a cake and popped open. I don't know if I'm that person. 
you would exalt your looking in the back. You would love to come and just take a look and just decide what it looks like and just gaze at that beauty and the beauty inside is amazing. And I think that's what you said when we came in. Lord, you the believers in this. Are you lacking anything? Are you struggling to be a God at his word? Yes, we can search, we seek after you. Almighty.